Hello, church. Merry Christmas. It's good to see you and be with you this morning. Um, like many, we had family in. Uh, my mom's here. Um, she's the gray-headed lady right there, and, and I earned every gray hair that she has, um, or, or gave them to her or something. Uh, our children were here, and uh, so we, we sat yesterday and we played uh, games during the afternoon on Jackbox uh, through the Nintendo Switch. Um, and we played one called like Fibbers or something like that. And um, it, everybody in the, that's in the game, you're, you're playing on your phone, everybody that's playing the game, you're, you're given an action. It says, um, like, raise your hand if you've ever had a crazy hat. <clears throat> it was one of them. And one person in the group is, is, uh, is the fibber. Um, and uh, and they, all it says to them is, try and mirror what everybody else does. And, and so we played that round one time, and it was, it was, you know, raise your hand. The next time, it was hold up how many fingers. And then the third time through, it was my turn to be the fibber. And I had to match the facial expressions of everybody else in the room. I don't know if you realize how difficult that is. And the very first question, it, everybody was making a face, and all I could see is my stepdad, Andy, I could see my son, I could kind of see my, my mom, but I couldn't see my daughter or my wife. And I remember looking at, at Andy and looking at my son, Dalton, and trying to match their face, and then the question came up. The question was, how would you react if you met Kim Kardashian? And I almost lost it right then because I was just going. Or, and I realized I almost gave the whole game away right there. That was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do was, was try and match facial expressions because you're also trying to figure out what the question might be. And we ended our day after uh, eating seconds of the uh, meatloaf and dressing that we had and uh, some cookies that we had. We ended our day seated around the table for a little while talking uh, as Dalton told stories about army life. Um, and then we moved into the living room and we sat around on the couches telling stories about people that have come through our life and, and our 30 plus years of owning and operating a roller skating rink and a swimming pool growing up. Lots of names were mentioned. Lots of stories were told. I remembered one in reference to the topic of salvation this morning. I was 15 years old, and that was when you could take your, your lifeguard class. And so I got certified to be a lifeguard. And I can remember one of my first times sitting up on the lifeguard stand, looking out over the water, and man, I'm focused on scanning. I'm scanning. I'm not looking in any one place. I'm scanning. I'm looking across. I'm listening. I'm trying to be attentive. And then my mother comes running out of the office and yelled my name. Because right down below me in the water, a toddler had walked away from his mother and was just floating. 
Mom gets the little boy and hands him to me, and he's not breathing. He's already turning blue. And I toss him over my shoulder and go running back to the grass to get a soft place to lay him down. And I'm trying to think through the steps of CPR. I'm trying to think through the steps of CPR for a toddler. And I'm like, I don't know if I remember. And thankfully, while I'm running, he spits up the water that he had down my back. Right? That was one of two times in the 20 plus years that I spent in a lifeguard pool manager capacity that I had to pull, pull someone who had already stopped breathing out of the water. Both times we were able to revive them, but I remember the last time, it was the last summer that we were open and I was in my 30s. And when I got back into the office, I can remember my mom asking, are you okay? And I wasn't. I wasn't. We live in a world where people are, people are dealing with things. We live in a world where life can be challenging we live in a world where pressure can feel like it's pushing us down. There were a couple of times last night where I got a little nervous in our conversation as a family because talk turned to politics. It did. And we're not all standing on the same side of the aisle. We're not all wearing the same color shirt. We're not all... Yeah, hopeful for the same people for the same reasons. And I could just kind of feel it. You know, you, could just, you just kind of feel that tension. And I'm going, okay, how far do I let this go before we shut it down? You know, because I mean, my son's 30. And he has a different worldview than, than, than myself who's in my 50s. And then a different worldview than, than my folks who are not longer in their 50s. But here's something that happened last night. As we talked, or as someone talked, someone else listened. And my mother told stories of being a high school teacher in 1970 in a school that was still dealing with integration. And her, as a young, fresh teacher, in her own naivete, not knowing what she knew, as she told these stories, things came alive. And I realized that she was facing things for the first time that when I was in my 20s and in my early 30s that there were things that I was facing the first time and now our kids are facing things for their first time. And so I completely deleted the sermon that I had to preach. <laughs> and as I sat up talking with my son last night, the idea began to percolate. And it's one word. Story. 
It's one word story because we talk about salvation and we all kind of have different angles. We all kind of have different thoughts. We all kind of have maybe different starting points about how it looks and what happens. But what I want to tell you this morning, what I hope to leave with you this morning is that what, what, what Andy and Stephanie and the family just read is the midpoint of a story. It's the midpoint of a story that started long, long before, oddly enough, in the presence of two trees. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And a decision was made to pluck something from one of those trees and the instant that that was plucked and the fruit was tasted, shame came upon the two people standing at the trees. Shame. Shame enough for them to hide. Shame enough to, for them to try, to try to craft covering. Shame enough for them to turn on each other. And a legacy was passed down to their sons, one who would kill another. And there's, there's a statement that God makes to Cain. He says, listen, listen, the blood of your brother is crying out from the earth. And I think it's the same cry that probably came out of Adam and Eve. I, I picture them wailing. I picture them moaning. I picture them wrapped in sorrow and hopelessness as they feel the shame descend on them. And they're set out of the garden with no place to call home anymore, trying to craft something new. And it's a story that plays over and over and over again in Scripture where we hear whether it's blood crying out from the earth, whether it's slaves crying out from their oppressors, whether it's Israel crying out because they've sinned again and fallen away from the presence of God. Whether it's Job and his furious fight with God going, if only there was someone to stand between us. And in that stable, on that night, in the city of Bethlehem, all the cries of all the people who had gone before, all the aches and the shame and the pain and the confusion, all of it was beginning to be healed because Jesus had arrived. And the innocent, helpless form of a baby. What a strange way to save the world. If you, were going to, if you were going to drive back the sins of the world, if you were going to drive back the forces of evil, if you were going to send light to invade the darkness, 
I don't know that any of us would approach it this way. I mean, I'm a big fan of flashlights. I'm a, I'm a bit of a nerd on flashlights, right? Um, I, have, I, have, I have some pretty cool flashlights, right? Um, and, and every time I lose one, I'm like, ooh, I get to go buy another flashlight. I just, I like them. I would try to find a different way. Usually my solution to a problem involves running into it at some point in time. Pushing against it. Trying to find the weak points. So much so that my dad would always tell me, son, don't force it, just go get a bigger hammer. <laughs> Even when working with pipes in our, in the, that ran the water that, that fed our pool, I'd be down there putting on a clamp or putting in a new valve, and Dad would always say, don't tighten it too far, and I won't. I was always, I'm not, just another quarter of a crack. My way is to force. My way is to try to throw words at it and reason with and explain Yet the idea of God to offer salvation is to send a weak and helpless infant. What a strange way to save the world. I've learned something in my 52 years. And I've learned a few things, not just something. I've learned I'm not a fighter. Wasn't put on this earth to, to whip anybody. Because when I've had jobs that required that, the toll was way too much. It took too much of my heart. I realize that I'm not here to save everybody. I'm not, here, I'm not here to set a standard for people to live up to. I'm one of the saved. And because I'm one of the saved, God will now allow this week and helpless human begin to be a light for others. See, we hear it in the story that Luke tells. We hear it in the song, The Magnificat, we sang this morning, as she talks about her soul magnifying the Lord, knowing that Jesus is coming and knowing that he will toss down the strong to hold up the weak. That those who are powerful and abuse that power will be cast aside. We see it in, in, when, when, when Simon the prophet sees Jesus the baby at the temple on the ninth day. And rejoices because now his watch is over. He has seen the new coming king and he can go home. We see it when Jesus reads scripture in his hometown. And he talks about freeing the captives. He talks about offering sight to the blind and making the lame 
walk again. We see it when he says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who suffer. We see it. When little old Zacchaeus climbs up in the tree to watch Jesus pass by and Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. We see it when Paul writes the letter to the Galatian church and he tells them that they've been saved from their sins and from the present age. We see it when children accompany their parents to light the Advent candle and talk about the joy of this season. We see it when men and women live the life of the gospel because their hearts have been captured by the story of salvation. And we see it when we walk out of here and sit with our families and sit with our friends and sit with our neighbors and listen and hear their story and hold their pain and don't offer any quick fixes but just simply be present. Because salvation has come. And it's a strange way to save the world. Because after his life on earth, Jesus ascended into heaven and he gave the job to you and I to a wonderful collection of misfits. To beautiful, wounded, helpless people who just have to figure out how to walk one more day in the steps of the king who was born that day. Church, may we continue to limp and struggle along. <clears throat> and when you don't know the words to say, just shut up. <laughs> Sit there and hold somebody's hand. Because it's not your job to save everyone. just your job to reflect, reflect the salvation that's been granted to you into the lives of the people you meet. May you be blessed. May you be encouraged. May you be hopeful. May you be curious. But most of all, may you be loving because you live in Jesus' name. Amen.